What's up, designers? Welcome to the Interior Design Consultant Podcast. I'm Timothy. And if this is your first time listening in, welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you've been here with us this whole entire time, thank you so much. I love you guys and your support. I'm going to tell you what's in my contract. And this is a very, very weird subject for me because when I first started, I had like (laughs) maybe a one-page contract. And today... I have, hold on, I'm going to scroll all the way down here. I have an 11-page contract. But in my defense, the f- the last one, two, three pages are just for custom and special order terms and conditions and then the payment structure for the client. But I think that the contract is probably the most important document that you could ever have as a designer because you really have to cover yourself. You have There's so many people out there who are going to want to sue you at the drop of a fucking hat. And it's it's bullshit because they'll look at the, the quickest thing, the easiest thing to try to sue you for because you're touching their house. They're spending thousands of dollars on you, right? And I've, I've been threatened many, many times with lawsuits. But you really have to cover yourself. And... Contracts are meant to cover both parties, and certainly it can, but it has to be done correctly. So I have, let's see, I have 11 parts to the main agreement, and they're not like crazy. Uh, my, my, okay, just first and foremost, my contract is not anything crazy. Being 11 pages, it's only, it's not even two columns. Now, ASID has a contract that is a example contract, and I'll actually export this as a PDF and put it up on the store. However, it's a 1994 edition. They have never updated it. So I would definitely <laughs> make sure that the articles in there are to 2019 standard and not 1994. But anyway, there's a lot of articles that uh, are covering a lot of various things. Now, the reason it's changed from one page when I started off to 11 is because after every single project you have, I can almost guarantee you that, and the almost part is because there's a lot of seasoned designers that don't run into this issue, but I'm going to almost guarantee that every single person who is listening to this, at some point in their career, they're going to run into an issue on almost every single project that prompts you to really try to make that not happen again. And it's natural. There's things we're human, right? There's things that are going to happen that you don't like as either a business owner or as a person or even as a designer and that's okay it's your business at the end of the day and if there's a clause that you want in your contract because you don't want your clients doing that because you don't feel comfortable with it as a business owner or puts you at liability as a business owner then sure why not put it in there so the very first article that i go through is the scope of work and this is a detailed scope of work the scope of work should in my personal opinion I'm not a lawyer, so I can't speak on a legality, and I don't think that there is any thing, uh, any issues with this on a legality standpoint. But my scope of work splits it up into sections because I want to make sure that my clients understand exactly what they're getting. I don't want to leave any kind of room for interpretation, and I don't want to leave any kind of room for question on, oh, well, does it include this or doesn't it include that? So very detailed with this part. So it breaks it up into rooms. So kitchen, like uh, for example, if it's a kitchen renovation, kitchen design is one section. And then I go into, you know, bullet points on what's included in that kitchen renovation. So conceptual design, and then I break that down. Creation of three floor plans for proposed layout and three elevations for final selected design. Notice how careful I was with my words. Creation of three floor plans. 
right? And I'll get into this in a second. Three elevations for the final selected design. Now let's break it down. Three floor plans, right? That's a lot. Depending on the size of the house, that's a lot of floor plans. And I know a lot of designers who do it differently. So I used to do it where I only provided one floor plan that I felt as a, as a designer was very formal and functional. And then I would bring that floor plan to my clients and then we would devour the whole thing. And then I would go back and do another floor plan with all the revisions and I kept doing that until the clients agreed to it. Well, the problem with that and the problem with not expressing the amount of work you're gonna do AKA three floor plans specifically is because if you're charging flat rate design and let's hypothetically saying you have, you know, 30 hours of work, divide that by 3000. So $3,000 divide that by 30, that's a hundred dollars an hour as a designer. If you're charging three grand and your client winds up taking, you know, 45 hours, to make their decision on just the floor plan and you're not and you're willing to just you know fork up floor plan after floor plan after floor plan after revision so on and so forth that hundred dollars an hour just went down to sixty six dollars and sixty six cents so it's really important that you distinguish exactly how many you're going to get or give rather material selection selection of flooring three uh, flooring three backsplashes countertops cabinets finished plumbing and electrical again um, setting the expectation that's three paint selection of three color schemes and I do everything in threes if you haven't noticed purchasing purchase and delivery coordination of all materials prior to demolition now that's important too because it's indicating that we're going to do to purchase and delivery coordinate before demolition even begins and then last but not least project management up to five hours of project management for construction phases so it's really, really important that you tell your client exactly what they're getting. Then our article two goes into scope of work will not include like any kind of these uh, these services. So supervising subcontractors on the project site, uh, conducting extended price shopping for items for the project. Like for example, if your client says, oh, well that tile's a little too expensive for this project. Well, guess what client? I'm not gonna go and try to find that same tile for any cheaper than what I have because what I've already done is made sure that it can fit within your budget. And since it does, then you can get that tile. Then delivery of any project materials. I do offer delivery. It's not immediately um, offered like within the, the services, but they can be charged to deliver. If they want me to go pick up stuff, then sure, just pay me to do it and I'll do it. And last but not least, engage in any manual labor. Look, we're designers. We're not, you know, that's, we're not contractors. So leave that shit to the contractors. Don't lift up a hammer. Don't paint because then it puts you even more to liability. Not to mention, even if you do a, a thing such as, you know, hanging, uh, well, actually, I don't know if this would really matter, but let's say you were hanging a big art piece and that art piece fell on your client's child, you know, three weeks after the design is over, you're now liable for the medical bill for that child because you, as a designer, that's unlicensed contractor, decided to put a nail into the wall that wasn't even on a stud and that painting fell on that child, you're going to be hit with a large bill and you're going to be sued out the ass because you decided to not hire a contractor to hang that art piece. I know it seems very, very tedious, but that's true. And that goes back to, you know, before that clients are willing to sue you for anything. 
and they will sue you for anything. Then I go to project timeline. I don't ever give a specified date. I never say it's going to be three weeks for design. I always say it's going to be an estimated or expected timeline of three weeks or whatever project is going to you know be. And I also in this section state we cannot be responsible for any delays in the performance of delivery of furniture, furnishing, subcontractors, materials supplied by others. So just releasing yourself a liability from things outside of your control as a designer. Article 4 goes into compensation and payments and for this particular contract that I'm reading it was a flat rate option. So they're indicated right at the top the total design fee for the project for this particular one I think it was just a kitchen renovation was $6,125.00. So I always charge an initial commencement fee of $2,500. It's non-refundable. So I outline that. Um, I outline that it's a flat rate fee based on the amount indicated above. And then under 4.11, it just states the client understands that any additional work outside the scope of the project is subject to the hourly rate of $175 per hour. And then other stuff in here include like charges incurred in the interest of the client for the project will be billed accordingly as this will provide the client with estimate and is understood and agreed that such estimates are not binding. We charge 3% processing fee for credit card transactions, $25 NSF fee, the, all the standard payment kind of stuff. And then we go into the amount of hours for a flat rate. I think you on a flat rate, you should indicate how many hours that it's going to take because it's important that you distinguish that. Because if you don't, you could eventually work for 30 cents per hour. If, if it's enough hours. Then we go into Article 5, default on payments. I'm very, very strict with this and probably the strictest that I've even seen, but failure to submit payment for completed work will incur $150 late, sheet, late fee plus an additional $6 per day thereafter until it's paid. If the client doesn't pay the invoice within 30 days after the initial late fee, then they'll go into collections. Now, to put into perspective, $6 times 30, that's only $180 on top of the 150. So really, if you're not paying your bill, that one whatever that that you know fee is will increase by $330 within the first 30 days of being late. And that's merely because we're trying to mitigate the damages. And to be quite honest with you, if we're taking a client to court, you know, we want to make sure that the late fees are covered or, you know, the principal balance at least. So if the client doesn't pay, then they go to collections, unfortunately. And then the $6 per day fee will cap out and then the account will stay in collections. And if it's in there for about 180 days or more, it actually starts hitting the client's credit. Now that's a specific rule to the collection agency that you use. So our agency actually reports to all three credit bureaus. And we've only ever had one client go into collections, thankfully. So well, hopefully that won't happen again. Then um, article six is miscellaneous provisions. So this is all just miscellaneous crap that I've added in here to uh, help just the communication and understanding of things. The first is communication. I expect my clients to respond to me no later than 24 to 48 hours. And I'm a true believer that timely correspondence is imperative to the success of a project. Um, if your clients aren't really good communicators, then they're not cl good clients, in my opinion. Uh, access. The client is expected to grant reasonable access to the premises. That's understood. Now, what I do as a designer is I always get a lockbox. And the lockbox is put on the front door, and there's a spare key in there. And only myself and the client have the 
code. And the contractor would also have the code. But when the contractor has a code, it would be changed later on. And we also change the code weekly because we want to make sure it's just a fresh code and that no one really gets it and so on and so forth. Then photography of the space upon completion of the project, the designer will require permission to photograph the project for our records and portfolio, of course. Verbal agreements, it's mutually understood that and agreed that there are no verbal agreements of any kind. Anything that wants to be added to the contract is done in an amendment and then agreed on and so on and so forth. The client can't decrease the budget. The client shall not decrease their budget once they advise the designer of their budget for the project. Should the client change the budget, must notify the designer immediately within writing to provide any corresponding documentation. This is important because hypothetically saying your client gives you an $80,000 budget, you've spent all this time designing for an $80,000 budget, and they come back and say, hey, guess what? I only have $50,000. Well, you just spent all that time for nothing. And they're changing the budget, so that changes the whole design. Change orders. So if the client changes any part of the scope, we charge $150 change order fee, and the reason is just because then the client isn't up to changing their minds very frequently. This next one is really important, I think. Vendor invoices. The designer does not have any obligation, nor will provide vendor invoices for any reason whatsoever, even if requested by the client. So that's basically your client saying, hey, designer, I want to know exactly what you got that tile for. Cost. I want your vendor invoice, and I want to know how much you paid for it. And that's the best way to figure out your profit margin, because your client will then know <laughs> how much you bought it for and how much you sold it to them for, and that difference is really your profit. You don't want your clients know exactly what your profit is. It doesn't really matter. They don't need to know. Then uh, we charge also for rush design and rush orders. This rush fee is basically if a client says, hey, I want you guys to like get this done ASAP. Uh, we will and tend to put projects, other projects that aren't as high on our priority list aside to fit that rush order. And yes, we will charge more for that because it's more time. And it's us basically saying, screw you to another project to fit, you know, getting other stuff done. And then Article 7 goes into termination of the agreement. I do charge a termination fee. The fee is not a flat rate fee, though it should. It's actually calculated based on the total cost of the design contract. So it's basically um, an example of, you know, I, I put an example of just like if your contract was $3,000, blah, blah, blah. But this is actually going to change because we're going to just do a flat rate fee. I think it's much better that way. The calculation is only because it makes more sense to us, but the flat rate fee just makes it a lot easier. Then we go into the different ways that contract can be terminated. So it goes con for convenience, for cause, or for hostile work environment, or if your client becomes hostile to you. Article 8, full disclosure on contracting and construction. This is basically stating that we're not contractors, we're not licensed. We don't say that we're contractors, we don't want to be contractors, and therefore we're not liable for any work performed by any contractors and or subcontractors, including but not limited to architects, engineers, general contractors, etc., etc. So I want to make sure we relieve that risk of the client suing us for something that the contractor did because it's happened before and it will happen again. The client uh, then, oh, sorry, we go into Article 9 refunds. This is specific because all payments collected are non-refundable, especially design fees. However, on flat rate projects, it's going to happen that your client pays kind of in advance for stuff that you've done. And if your client 
terminates the contract, well, guess what? You have to issue a refund. So I've already built into the contract a covenant not to sue. In the state of California, there is a section 1542 waiver, and I won't get into that because I'm not a lawyer. I'm not going to read this verbatim. And so that's already embedded in there in case we have to give a client a refund. They understand that, you know, they're agreeing to the attorney fees if we do go to or if they do try to sue us and stuff like that. Then Article 10, Identification slash Liability, the Article 11 Agreement to Arbitrate. And I think that's also important. So that's literally the main part of the contract. Then we go to Part 2, which is Custom and Special Order Terms and Conditions. So saying that custom orders are non-refundable, 50% is due upfront, then 50% is due before delivery of the item, delivery policy, they must be paid for in full before delivery can be scheduled. Then we go into special order items return policy. With special order items, they have to be in the original packaging, must be returned within seven to 10 business days from the client receiving such item, and a 30% restocking fee, which actually is gonna change to 50% restocking fee, uh, will be charged. Now, there's a reason that special order is a 50% restocking fee. Number one, it covers 100% of your profit for selecting that material. And number two, it actually covers the delivery fee going back to the warehouse, your manufacturer, that the manufacturer would have you charge or would have you pay for. And then last but not least, the payment structure. So the way I structure my payments is the initial retainer, $2,500 on every single project that's not refundable. Then where the next amount is for material selection. So after the conceptual design and right before we're about to select material, then we'll ask for another amount. Then pre-demolition, so right before con the construction crew comes in and demos everything, we'll ask for another fee. Then we ask for a fee prior to project management. So if there's project management embedded in the contract, then there's a fee associated with that to begin those, uh, the project management part. And then final holdback, we usually do 10% of the total contract amount. In this case, was $612 is due right after the, con the contract is fully executed and complete. So after the clients sign off on their design, after we do the reveal and everything like that. Unfortunately, I cannot provide a copy of this contract because for legal reasons, I don't want to be liable. However, if you Google interior design contract template, you'll be able to find a ton of things online for that. And I've used it myself and I've used a lot of stuff. Look at ASID contract. There's a lot of interesting things in there and a lot of legal jargon. If you don't understand, you could certainly talk to your lawyer. And also, if you don't have a lawyer, this is not a sponsorship at all, but LegalShield.com is really awesome. It's like 40 bucks a month for a business, and it's basically a lawyer on call. So the base, you, you, you spend $40 a month, and uh, hypothetically saying you have like a client issue, you can call the lawyer, they can write letters for you, they can advise you on, you know, the proper way to go on a legal standpoint, all for 40 bucks a month. It's pretty, sh it's pretty schnazzy, if you ask me. So thanks again for listening. Please hit the subscribe button. Please also rate me if you haven't. I'd love that. An honest review is always greatly appreciated. And of course, if you have any questions, feel free to email me. My email directly is timothy at theidconsultant.com. And one last thing, the store and the website are finally up and running. So all of the downloadables, the downloadable content is available on the store. Some of it free, some of it not, but definitely take a look. Again, please hit the subscribe button. I love you guys. Thanks so much for listening in. Namaste.